preaching text for today, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. So open up your Bibles. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. This is uh, another sermon in the series entitled Relationship Rehab. If you've been with me, then you understand something of my heart behind this gospel series. I've been very concerned at what I feel like I'm seeing in not just our church, but churches in general. The way in which we disciple people. We disciple people to become followers of Jesus, and we expect that people will become fully mature followers of Jesus. But that maturity in the ways that we celebrate, it doesn't always seem to turn into uh, emotional maturity, relational maturity. In other words, people in the church often have relationships just as broken. We often have the same kind of hangups and hurts and habits that keep us from truly loving each other well. And I don't see any version of the gospel in the New Testament, to be honest, which doesn't lead to total life change, including a life that would cause us to love each other the way Jesus loves us. First John says, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, but whoever does not love doesn't know God because God is love. So you understand how very important it is, that connection between the way we love God and the way we love people. So we're taking some Sundays just to talk about emotionally healthy relationships, how they look, and the kinds of things that keep us from experiencing the fullness of Christ in relationships with one another. So today I want us to talk about one of those obstacles, and I would just call it the unresolved grief. Many, many of us live with what I would just call unresolved grief. Now, grief is just very simply response to loss. And our lives are filled with loss. As a matter of fact, your very first day on this planet uh, involved loss, separation. You had developed inside your mother's womb, right? And, and that's all you had known. The first nine months of your life, the only thing you know is connection. The only thing you know is this very intimate attachment to your mother, literally through the, you know, the, the, the uterine cord that connects you to her. You are totally dependent upon her, totally inside her. It, it's a sheer measure of survival, but, but also the only reality that you know. For nine months, you dwell in this amazing attachment, this wonderful connection. And then your birthday comes, the day of your birth. I know you don't remember it, but your mama does. Because for her, that was the end of pregnancy, right? And so you were born, and so you go from in one moment knowing only this intimacy, this attachment, this connection, till suddenly the first, your, your first moment of life on this planet, before you take your first breath, you experience this shock of separation. You emerge from your mother, you're pushed out of her, the cord is cut, and now you know separation. That's the way you came into this world, and honestly, that same kind of pattern of attachment and separation, or what we might call love and loss, that's just a part of life. It's how life goes, and so, so much depends upon your ability in your life to learn how to mark and grieve losses. There are moments of attachment and moments of separation. You have to let things go. And your ability to do that, to, to let go, to, to grieve losses, it's, it's, it's a critical part of your life and especially your 
uh, your, your, your life in Christ. I, I would say it this way, and it comes from the passage we're reading today. Your way of grieving is related to the depth of your relationship to God. Now I'm going to stop right there because some of us are painfully misinformed about how your relationship to God affects the way that you grieve. I've seen a lot of church people who are somehow under the impression that if they have strong faith, then they're never going to show any strong negative emotion. It's like you got to praise the Lord anyhow, you know, and, and smile and sing and, and give glory to God. And, and, and there's always praise to be done. I'm not saying that there's not. But I'm saying there's something wrong with us if we think that a relationship to God will shield us from these moments of loss, from, from seasons of grief, sometimes catastrophic, tragic kinds of loss. You mustn't think that your relationship to God gives you some sort of easy pass around suffering and sorrow. And for that reason, you must not think that your relationship with Christ somehow precludes your expression of real human negative emotion. We're going to cry. We're going to sorrow. We're going to do it just like everyone else who is human. Because even Jesus, the scripture says, is a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. The scripture says at the funeral of his friend, Jesus wept. So if we're following after Jesus, we're not somehow going to become these emotionless cyborgs. You understand? So your way of grieving is related to the depth of your relationship to God, and it's also related to the compassion you can offer others. This is what Paul says, and this is what you must understand. Your way of grieving has everything to do with the depth of your relationship to God and then the heart of compassion that you can actually offer to other people. So in Paul's passage here, he begins in verse 3 with this amazing uh, I'd call it a doxology, amazing word of praise when he says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. Literally what he says there is God is the Father of mercies, plural. God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. I love that. God is the Father of mercies and the Father of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. So if you are reading the passage, then you understand that Paul's gone through something. We don't really know exactly what it is. We can have some ideas by reading the letters to the Corinthians, but basically we don't know. All he tells us is that something happened in the province of Asia, and he does expect that the church he's writing, that they know about it. They're aware of his suffering. They're aware of what happened. It must have been pretty serious. Down in verses 8 and 9, Paul says, we were crushed beyond our ability to endure. You know, so all you people who say, God will never put anything more so we can endure. Well, Paul would argue with you right here because he says, we were crushed, overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, man, I thought I was going to die. This is Paul talking. So whatever he was going through, he didn't even expect he was going to live through it. But what happens? There's a turning point in verse 9. We stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God. So as Paul talks about this, this uh, brush with death, this, this season of sorrow and suffering that's beyond anything he'd ever experienced, you notice that on the other side of that, he, he's a different kind of man. He's learned more. He's learned something about himself when he says, I've learned to stop relying on myself. 
And he's learned something about God. I've learned to rely only upon God who is the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. So understand, it's something about Paul's soul, but the same thing is true about our soul. The soul is designed to grow through suffering. That the soul is enlarged in times of suffering. This is what happens to Paul, and this is what happens to you and me when we stay with the Lord. Suffering has this incredible capacity to deepen our hearts, to, to deepen our wisdom, to help us to rely more upon the Lord, to strengthen our faith. The soul is designed to grow larger through suffering. Paul ends up knowing things being able to trust God in ways that he never could have accomplished outside of the suffering that the Lord permits. And the same is going to be true for you. The soul is designed to grow larger through suffering. So when people talk about you know, having to go through grief, you know, going through grief, I want us to talk today about what it means to grow through grief. This loss that characterizes our lives, this need to grieve and need to learn how to grieve in a healthy, godly way. Understand, it's a, it comes from the enlarging of our souls in times of, of suffering. Let me say it this way. It's kind of crazy, kind of a tongue twister. Loss will make you more. Now, that doesn't really make sense. You think if I lose something, that makes me less. No, because your soul is designed to grow larger in suffering, larger even in loss and grief. Loss will make you more unless you allow loss to make you less. You understand what I'm saying? You've got some choices to make. And it's difficult because in those moments, the last thing you're really thinking about is, is, is how to make the right choice. Man, when the rug gets yanked out from under your feet, when you experience a time of tragic, catastrophic, devastating loss, it's hard sometimes to even know how to breathe. It's hard to even know how to shower, how to get food. I mean, you, you absolutely come apart. Some of you know. But at the very same time, you are making choices, and you're going to make a choice that really is going to determine how you come through this and where you are on the other side of this. As God has designed your soul, it's intended to make you more, but you can make a choice and end up with loss, uh, making you less. So Paul says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. So make a mark right there. First thing Paul is saying is his revelation in his suffering. God is the source of all comfort, the God of all comfort. Paul is saying that God is the only source of comfort. He's our only help. God is the one that you need, and he has everything that you need. And honestly, you must not turn to anyone else. God is the source of all comfort. In all of your times of brokenness, in all of your times of grief, in all of your times of sadness and sorrow, God is all you need. He has the comfort that you need, and he's the only one. He's the only one. Paul says, I learned to stop relying on myself and learn to rely only on God. He's the source. You with me? God is the source of all comfort. Now, you and I get into trouble because we like to either think that we're some kind of source or that maybe other people will be our source. Now, those of us who trust on ourselves, you know how far this gets you, right? In your times of sorrow, in your times of grief, you just try to disappear like an old cat. And you're going to go off and lick your wounds, and then you're going to come back later somehow, having somehow you know, brought yourself through this. That's not going to work. You cannot face life 
by yourself. You need the Lord. He is your source. On top of that, some of us are always looking to other people. We're just constantly empty somehow and always needing somebody else you know, to, to fill us up. And I'm telling you, God is your source. It's not any other person, especially in times of grief. Now, there are people in the world, there are, I, I know some, there are people who are very, very good comforters. There are people who know exactly what to say, and they know how to say it. They know how to show up and just walk alongside you. I mean, the true friends, the people who have the words and just have that way about them, that they can really somehow be a comfort for you when you feel like your world's coming apart. There are people like that. But can I just warn you, you may not know any. You may not know any. There are people like that, but most people aren't like that. Most of us don't really know what to say when we encounter somebody who's experiencing a catastrophic loss. We don't know what to say. It just gets awkward. You know, we'll bring food, and food's always good, and, and we may mumble some words about how she's in a better place, but mostly we just say the wrong thing, and we don't manage to offer a whole lot of help. That's just most of us. We don't know what to say. I can tell you everything's going to be all right, but I don't know that any more than you do. You understand? God is the only source of comfort. We're really not any kind of source for one another, not in ourselves. Yeah, true story. One day I, was, uh, I preached a funeral, and we're standing at the casket. It's a farmer. It's a local farmer. I won't name him, but, he, but he's with the Lord now, and he was dead that day in his casket. And I'm standing by his wife, and her heart's broken. I mean, this is her husband, and he was a great man, a great farmer, and all the neighbors and friends in Woodburn, we all loved him and knew him, and just, you know, felt bad for the lady, and so I'm literally standing here with the widow, we're looking at her dead husband, and it's a really sad moment, and up walks the neighbor, and that's the good thing about small communities like Woodburn, neighbors will come out, so this neighbor came up, and sure enough, he was an old farmer too, this dude was literally in overalls, God bless him, at the funeral home. He walked up and said, listen, I just want to tell you I knew your husband and I just want to come by and pay my respects. And the lady said, well, you know, much obliged. I appreciate it very much. And he said, yeah, I just couldn't imagine not coming. Plus, I just need to ask you, have you thought about what you're going to do with his tractor? <laughs> he said that to her. In front of the casket, like he's, he's laying there looking at us, you know, and, and, and you get the idea, you know, he's, yeah, he's paying respects. He's also shopping for tractors, you know, man, I'm just telling you, people are just kind of like that. We're going to say wrong things. We're going to say dumb things. We're sometimes going to make it all worse. We're going to show up and make it worse because this is what I'm telling you. God's your source of comfort. If you do not find it in the Lord, you're not going to find it in yourself, and you're not going to find it in other people. God is the Father of mercies and the source of all comfort. You with me? Which makes it interesting what Paul says next, because Paul says, God is our merciful Father, the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. So that's kind of interesting because I just established that God is the only source of comfort. Y'all, people are not the source. We're not good at it. We're not good at it. We're, we're going to say the wrong thing. We're going to forget. Even if we show up at the funeral and do it right, 
we're going to forget about it in two weeks and you're going to be all alone again. We're just not good at this. When Paul uses the word comfort here, the word he uses is the same word that Jesus uses in the Gospel of John when Jesus talks about the comforter that is going to come. Who is that comforter? It's the Holy Spirit. The word there is periklesios, which means to call alongside. So the idea here is that only the Holy Spirit of God can be sent alongside of us. Only the Holy Spirit can be our companion in these times of grief. I mean, it is God himself who is the presence and the power to get us through. However, in an amazing way, God uses people to comfort people. I mean, the Holy Spirit, I guess, could do it all by himself, but it pleases God to use people to comfort people. This is the plan. There is no other plan. This is what Paul says. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. God uses people to comfort people. Now, there are no perfect people, so none of us is going to get it absolutely right. People are still going to sometimes say the wrong thing. They're still going to sometimes not really understand your pain. Some of us are not very trustworthy with your heart. But at the very same time, God's going to use people all around you to comfort. And God's going to use you in order to be a comfort to all those around you. This is how the Lord works. And this is how the church is supposed to operate. You with me? This is how the church is supposed to work. I'm not sure we always do, just to be honest. I think we want to. I think we try to. I think for the most part, it's this first step. He comforts us in all our troubles. I think a lot of us have never really ourselves allowed the Lord to comfort and heal our own hearts. So many of us are ourselves walking around, and we ourselves have never resolved our grief, our losses, I mean, there are people in this room right now, people in the sound of my voice, you are so raw from your divorce. I mean, that divorce for you is is just like yesterday, and you have not moved on, and you don't really even know how to grieve the loss of your marriage and move on. Some of you continue to grieve the losses of loved ones, catastrophic loss. I, I can't even imagine your pain. All I know is that the Holy Spirit has that comfort for you, but a lot of us have never really yet figured out how to grow in Christ in such a way where he can heal the broken parts of our hearts. You understand? Are you hearing me? And so if I never experienced that, if I myself am walking around with a heart that continues to be broken and heavy and and grieving then I'm not going to be very good at offering that to you. As a matter of fact, until grief is healed, often we have this tendency to stay very distant from people. Remember how I said that your life begins with this incredible intimate attachment that then is severed and you learn separation and then life itself is is just a pattern of, of loving and losing? Well, what happens when we continue to lose is that we become very hesitant to form new attachments. You know, when I was nine or 10 years old, I remember saying, I am never gonna buy another hamster. Why? Because I buried 12 hamsters. Hamsters don't live. 
I would bury him. I would cry real tears. This is where I became a pastor. I'd preach hamster funerals out in the garden. I had little bricks, and I had 12 bricks at one time. There was a possum in there, too, and a guinea pig. But it was mostly just this horrible graveyard. And I'm just thinking, I'm not getting more hamsters. And that's exactly how some of you, not with hamsters, but that's how some of you live your life. Man, I have been in love, and I lost, and uh, I'm, I'm never going to love again, you know. I had one husband. I buried a husband. I, I, I do not want to ever experience that kind of pain again. You know what I mean? We, we close ourselves off in such a way where it becomes impossible to have healthy relationships with other people. I mean, you may still be walking around kind of like a, you know, a, a walking dead body, but there's no life in you because uh, you get stuck in that grief. The thing is, you don't ever really recover from catastrophic loss. I know that sounds gloomy, but I want you to hear me. Understand this. You don't just get over it. I mean, that's what some people think. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bury my wife, and then I'm going to be sad, and then the next day I'm going to go to work. You know, get back to it. No, there's no getting back to it. You don't recover. It's not as if you can ever go on like nothing happened. That's not an option for you. You cannot pretend that nothing has happened. You cannot pretend you didn't love him. You can't pretend you didn't lose him. You can't pretend that it doesn't hurt. And you can't for a moment think that you're going to get back to the way things were before. There's no going back. You don't recover from catastrophic loss. It may crush you. I mean, I hate to say that, but it's a possibility. I have seen people absolutely destroyed by grief. It may crush you. It may transform you. This is God's plan. It's intended, as I said, to to enlarge your heart, to strengthen you, to teach you more and more about what it means to rely on the God who is always faithful. It, It may transform you, but make no mistake, it will not leave you the same. You're not gonna emerge from this kind of loss and not somehow be changed by it. You will be changed. So how do we do it? I mean, Paul says simply the turning point, I stopped relying on myself and learned to rely upon God. That that is the key. That's the secret to everything right there. But what does that look like? How do we grieve in a healthy way? And how do you know if perhaps you're grieving in a non-healthy way? Let's let's talk about that. I'll start with the non-healthy ways because we usually can identify those well. We do these. I do this. Some people just ignore pain. Just ignore it. Some of you right here, this is your whole strategy. Ignore it. Nobody's going to see you cry. You're never really going to acknowledge that this loss has even happened. You're going to keep a smile on your face. You're going to just stick with the plan, the program. You're going to get back in your routine, and you are not going to acknowledge that you're hurt. Some people ignore pain. This is not a good idea. This is devastating to a person. You cannot run from pain. It will catch up with you. So one day, a the, the brotherhood, the guys at church were working on a construction project, and I was with them. I love those days. And uh, we were working on a house or building, and the guys were up on the roof, and I was one of the guys on the ground. So they're up there working. I'm down here. And Jack Wright drops a hammer from the house, you know, from the roof, and it bounces off my right shin and, and lands on my foot. Y'all ever been hit right in the shin with a hammer that fell off a house? I mean, this was, I mean, this was horrible. And that, there's a phrase I don't really like, but the phrase goes, you know, bad enough to make a preacher cuss. I, I did not cuss, mostly because all the men around me were church men. I really wanted to cry. 
I mean, it was horrible. I mean, I could just feel like, you know, my heart beating in my sin. It was just throbbing. It felt so bad. I, I wanted to rub it. You know, I mean, I just wanted to take my shoe off and see if I still had, you know, if I had bone sticking out of my foot. I mean, it was horrible. It hurt so bad. But what do y'all think I did? Did I cry? Did I tell somebody, you know, call 911? Call my mama? Did I do any of that? No. I walked it off. This is what men do, right? I just walked it off. Somebody said, whoa, look out for that hammer. Where'd that hammer go? I said, Oh, there it is right there. I mean, I never said, that hammer hit me in the leg, Jack. You know, no. Pick it up, throw it back up, you know. <laughs> no, no, no. I am not going to let every man in the church see me cry. I'm not going to let them know I'm hurt. I'm not even going to let them know I got hit. I just said, there's a hammer right there and <clears throat> walked it off, you know. <laughs> Some people ignore pain. You will never, ever, ever grow through grief if you refuse to acknowledge that you've been hurt. Years ago, I had a very good friend, a young man uh, who died suddenly, tragically. It's horrible. He was a great Christian man, and his mama was a great Christian woman. And there were a lot of us in ministry who wanted to be a part of the funeral, and so we all got together to plan the funeral with his mother. And his mother, um, I, I love her. She's such a great lady. What she said was, I want this to be a celebration of life, which a lot of times we say. But when she said celebration of life, then she went on to say, uh, no tears, only praise. Like, like that's how she wanted us to plan the whole service. No tears, only praise. She didn't want anybody to cry. We're not going to be sad. We're just going to celebrate his life. That's what we did. There were no tears. We just praised the Lord and we sang about heaven. And it was, a, it was, it was an electric worship service. I, I'm here to tell you, it was an electric worship service. It was amazing. And most of us walked out of that place thinking, man, that's how you do it. That's how you celebrate life. I, I want mine to be like that. And, but here's the thing. Two weeks later... His mama called me, and she was ragged. I mean, this woman was nearly insane with grief. There is no Christian virtue in, in the no tears, only praise plan. You understand? You really don't get to ignore pain. What you have to do is face it honestly. Now, I, I think we all have learned by now, surely you've learned by now in life, it is altogether possible to praise through tears. We can do both at once. As God's people, we always have the Holy Spirit who comforts us. And we always have the hope of heaven. And we always have the truth of the gospel. And, and nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not, not death, not disaster, not anything. We always have praise. There's always going to be praise, always rejoicing to be done. But I'm telling you, sometimes there are tears to be cried too. Sometimes we rejoice and we do it through tears, and it all happens at once. I can say, I trust the Lord. I know that he loves me. I know that he's good, and my heart is broken in two. I can say both of those things at once. They can both be true. There is no virtue in ignoring your pain. There's, there's no awards being given out here for the ability to come back to church and act like you're not hurt. 
And that's not going to help you. That pain that you continue to try to walk off, it is going to come back one day and it is going to take you down. I'm telling you, you're not going to run from this. Face it honestly. Second, you know, some people just try to find somebody to blame. You seen that? You know, their loved one dies and, and they blame the doctors. It's the doctors, you know. I mean, and, and they're just, I mean, they just stay so upset about the doctors. They can't even plan the funeral because they're planning the lawsuit, you know. It's the doctor's fault. They're just so angry. That nurse, you know, we were calling the nurse and the nurse never came. And, and it's the nurse, you, you know. I mean, you just find somebody to blame. And, and sometimes there is somebody to blame. You might have lost a loved one to a drunk driver and you're just thinking if, if that person hadn't made that choice, then, then my, my person would be alive. I mean, I'm telling you, sometimes you can find somebody to blame and it's gonna feel right that they deserve the blame. But sometimes the person you decide to blame, though, is yourself. You blame yourself. Man, I should have listened. I should have listened to her. I, I, I should have called him. I should have gone by to check on him. You know what I mean? I mean, you can play that game. You can play it over and over. You can just keep running the tape in your head and, and the story of what you could have done differently as if you have life and death in your hands. You can, you can blame yourself. And there's some people who get stuck in their grief because, honestly, they cannot let themselves off the hook. And, and, and you're going to find somebody to blame. I, I, I promise you, if you look around, you can always just blame yourself. But that's not going to help you. It's, it's not going to do anybody any good. It will never bring them back. And even if there is somebody who deserves the blame, your only option as a believer is to forgive them. The only way for you to find a path forward out of your sorrow, out of your sadness, is to forgive. You've still got to forgive. Instead of finding somebody to blame, why don't you just trust God? You say, well, Pastor Tim, trusting God is hard. What if God's the one that I'm going to blame? Because isn't God kind of everybody's favorite one to blame? I'm not making light of anybody's loss. Everybody's loss is serious, but, but sometimes people get mad at God. It just, you know, it, it just, it, it wears me out. As I've told you over and over, I never hear anybody say, I'm so mad at the devil. I mean, the devil's your enemy. He's the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But nobody in 25 years of ministry has come to me, made an appointment to come and tell me they're mad at the devil. No, they're always mad at God. And I do understand that. I understand the frustration of, of sometimes the way things turn out. But then sometimes, y'all, you're blaming God, and you ain't got you know, anything to blame God for. You know? I mean, I've talked to the guy that said, I'm, just, I'm angry at God because he took my mammal. I'm thinking, your mammal was 100. She was 100. And she was blind and deaf, toothless. Loss of bladder control. Let that poor lady go. Let her go to glory. You can't keep her in the house like a mommy. I mean, you know, she's 100 years old. God hasn't singled you out and taken your mammal. Come on, you all. This is life. We don't get to have our grandparents forever. We just don't. You don't even get to have your parents forever. We do not have each other to have and to hold for very long. No relationship down here lasts forever. This is just the circle of life. I mean, sometimes you're angry at God, and I'm just telling you, you haven't been singled out. We all lose our grandparents, our, our parents. It's, it's horrible. 
Now, I know sometimes there's real catastrophic, tragic loss. They, they seem to die so young or with so much suffering. I, I get that. But, but please, before you go blaming God, just stop and ask yourself, do you really have anything to be angry about? Maybe you just had a good grandma and she lived a good life and it's time for her to go into glory with the Lord. That's not a bad thing. I mean, my goodness, we spend so much time in church with a prayer list a mile long, you know, trying to, trying to pray to keep people out of heaven. Instead of trying to keep people from going to hell, you know. And people just get mad at God, blame God. Um, I'm not making a joke of that. I know that sometimes it's so frustrating because you know that God could make a difference. Whatever turns out, we know that one way or the other, God, God permitted that, and God could have made it turn a different way, and, and that's so infuriating sometimes. But I'm just telling you, in, in that moment, you've you got a choice to make, and the devil, who is your enemy, he's going he's to come in right there, and you'd think he'd give you a break because you're grieving, but no, he's going to pounce then because you're weak. He's going to tell you that God doesn't love you. He's going to tell you that God's not faithful. He's going to tell you that God let you down. He's going to tell you you can't trust God. You can't trust him from now on. He's going to tell you that God's not going to listen to you when you pray. He's going to tell you to get mad at God. He's going to get you to blame God. Because if the devil can make you turn away from God, then understand you have lost everything then. No matter what you lose, don't, don't lose your faith. Instead of blaming somebody, trust God. Just, just trust the Lord. One more. Um, some people just withdraw. I, I, I get this. Grief is exhausting. If you've never been through it, you don't know. It's just exhausting. Every moment of every day, even in your sleep, your heart continues to, to grieve. It just continues to mourn. It continues to remember. And especially early on, it's just exhausting. And you literally don't have the energy to be with people. It is very difficult to grieve by yourself. I'm telling you, it is harder still to grieve with other people. It's hard to grieve together. When Casey and I first got married, we had a couple that lived across in the next apartment, and we loved them. And we thought our lives were very parallel. We both were newly married. Uh, we both worked with youth in our churches, and we just loved this couple. They were just a fantastic couple. Uh, we were friends for a while, and then she came up pregnant, and that was kind of fun and weird because they're like the first pregnant people I'd ever known up close, you know. Um, first friends that got pregnant, and that was fun, and we were excited about that. Uh, but then she miscarried. And honestly, we were all so young. I, I, we tried to be good friends. I know we took a meal. Uh, all I know is eight weeks, ten weeks after that miscarriage, the guy came over and told me that they were getting a divorce. I said, why? Because I'd known this couple. I mean, they, they were serving the Lord. I know how they loved each other. They loved each other. I said, why? And this is what he said. He said, you just don't understand what it is to live with somebody that you love but still they become an everyday reminder of the worst day of your life. Of all the things they just didn't know how to grieve together. When she was up, he was down. He was up, she was down. And they found it easier just to, you know, 
is so hard to grieve together. But you have to be able to grieve with people. Do I need to remind you this is God's plan? He wants to comfort you. But God uses people to comfort people. And if you withdraw, who's going to help you? Who's going to be there? You say, Pastor Tim, I don't need anybody. I don't want anybody. No, this is where you're wrong. Your instincts are wrong. You know, one of the most painful things, and, and again, I get it. I, I'm not condemning anybody. But if you notice, one of the hardest things once you've lost somebody is to come back to church. It's just one of the, it's, it's one of the first hardest things you'll do. And, and I get it. Because in worship, if you're doing it right, your heart's open. But if you've got an open heart in God's presence and your heart is raw and bleeding and, and wounded and broken, man, you open that heart up in, in church, and, and I mean, every song is going to remind you of your pain, and every scripture is going to just finger that wound, and every word out of the pastor's mouth, and all the people sitting around you who can just sit there like it's an ordinary Sunday, and it will never be another ordinary Sunday for you, I understand that. I understand that coming back to church is one of the hardest things you'll ever do. But still, instead of withdrawing, you got to find a way to share your pain. Paul says he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort. It's, it's not some different comfort. It's the same comfort. God, God lets it flow right through us. I mean, this is how it works. This is how the church is supposed to work. I'm not sure we're all that good at it, to be honest. It, it requires something. It requires you know, showing up and being willing to be seen, you know, falling apart. I mean, you're thinking, if, if I walk in that church and if I sit down in that pew and I, and I fall apart, I don't know if I'll ever pull it back together. I just wish this could be a safer place for people to fall apart and not be able to bring it back together. I mean, you know... Because where else are you going to go? If God wants to comfort us through the comfort of each other, how's that going to work? If we won't share pain, if you'll never even talk about it. And, and I remind you, we're not perfect. Oh my goodness, we're not perfect. We should remember, but we don't remember. So remind us. Our heart is not to be callous. We want to care, but, but honestly, if you don't tell us, we just don't know. So tell us, you know, today's a hard Sunday. I'm just thinking about my husband today, or today would be our anniversary, and I'm thinking about her. Or today, I'm just looking at the, the infant dedication, I'm thinking about the baby that I buried, and it just makes it a hard day. You know, why can't we just share those things with each other? Because something tells me when we learn to do that, then we have a, a, just a revival of compassion in this place. Because if we can't experience it, then we can't offer it to others. And I'm telling you, there is a world out there that is broken in pieces. And they need to know the Father of mercies. And they need to know the God of all comfort. And if we, who are the children of this God, if we can't go out there and share that comfort, then what is the world going to do? What are you going to do? Paul says that it's beautiful, it's amazing. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He 
comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort, the same comfort God has given us. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we thought we would die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God. You're going to have to stop relying on yourself. You can't do this alone. You can't do it without the Lord. And you can't do it without other people. This is what the church is supposed to do best. We can't do it without each other. Pray with me. God, there are broken hearts in this congregation. There are lonesome people in these pews. There are those today for whom this sermon itself was just the fingering of a wound that is still so raw. Lord, some of us long for this kind of healing. We long to be on the other side of the pain, Lord. We recognize that the grief is going to change us, Lord, but we just don't understand why it's got to last so long, why it's always got to hurt so bad. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would comfort every grieving heart, every broken heart, every wounded soul in this place today. But Lord, humble us and make us willing, Lord, to just simply be willing to share our pain with others, to be willing, Lord, to admit that we've lost, that we've been hurt, just be willing, Lord, to admit that we can't do this alone, that we need you, that we need others, and then, Lord, will you... Will you help us to walk with you in such a way where we become more able to walk with each other? Through all dark places, in all difficult ways, Lord, through the very valley of the shadow of death, oh God, will you make us the kind of disciples of you, oh Jesus, that we can walk so closely with you that we can uh, walk closely with others who need you. Lord God, you are the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. We are children of broken hearts who desperately need to know your grace, your mercies, your comfort today. Will you share it with us? Will you shower it upon us? So then, Lord, we can rise up ourselves and go comfort somebody else. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Comforter. Amen.